Well, I got an email this week from one of my newsletter subscribers who said, in essence, Dan, you need to forget your dream. You should have been content back on that dairy farm in Ohio. Now, some of you may have people telling you to go back to the farm. We're going to talk about that in this episode. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Our business partner today is Gusto. Gusto is a refreshingly easy payroll, benefits, and HR system for the modern small business. Well, this is Dan Miller, and yes, this is the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Now, here's the deal. We are able to do that because we have acted on dreams, because we've not been content to just take what life offers, not been content to just respond to circumstances. We act on dreams. That's the way that you create or find work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. So here's the deal. Now, I've created some questions here that I'm going to address. I'm just going to go through and address how I've dealt with some of these issues in a way that I hope is inspiring to you as well. I'm going to give you some real principles for how you bring a dream to life. So is now a time to be dreaming? Do we just need to wait till, gee, the economy gets better or somebody new is in the White House? You know, is now a time to be dreaming? Don't most dreams just get us in trouble? What are we most likely to regret when we're on our deathbed? I'm going to tell you some real research on what people say. What are the three elements for bringing a dream to life? And then what are the five steps to making that happen? Get your pens and pencils ready. You're going to need them. I'm going to give you some specific steps to take to bring your dream to life. Here's our quotation for today. It comes from the African-American poet, author Langston Hughes, who said, hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is like a broken winged bird that cannot fly. Isn't that a graphic visual image? Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is like a broken winged bird that cannot fly. So the call to action is this. What dream do you have that you've not acted on? What would it take to give life to that dream this week? Let me tell you about our business partner, and we're going to jump right into this concept. I already told you, Gusto. Isn't that a great name? Gusto. I love that. That's a refreshingly easy payroll benefits and HR system for the modern small business. Now, we know payroll and benefits are hard. I mean, especially for small businesses. You don't have the time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations. 
And some old school payroll providers just aren't built for the way you work today. I mean, you may have employees, people that you pay who live in other countries, you know, where regulations, there's a whole lot of factors that go into how you handle payroll today. Well, Gusto's making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. Now, this is why Gusto is better than the other guys. I mean, PC Magazine and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto makes payroll a breeze. In fact, 9 out of 10 users say Gusto is easier to use than other payroll solutions they've tried. Gusto saves you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run payroll. I mean, think about that. Less than five minutes. Gusto is reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. Now, if you want more information, you want to check it out. I mean, what do we all do? Google it. You're going to see how people love Gusto. How they love using this system that makes all this easy. So... Most small businesses don't have an HR expert. You don't need one to use Gusto. With great software and great service, you can focus on your business, not on the paperwork and payroll. Well, to sign up, here's the deal. And it helps support our show. We're thrilled to have them as a sponsor. Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you get three months once you run your first payroll, three months free, just go to gusto.com slash 48 days. Again, check it out. I mean, just go to gusto.com slash 48 days. I want to talk about this. Again, our quotation to kind of spawn this is hold fast to dreams for if dreams die, life is like a broken winged bird that cannot fly. Now I grew up on a dairy farm in Ohio, rural Ohio. My dad was bivocational. He was a pastor of a little tiny church for which he got no pay. That was a volunteer ministry position. And we eked out a living as farmers. I remember when we purchased the first cow, one cow, we milked that cow by hand. We continued milking cows by hand as dad was able to add more cows to the herd. We got up to 12 cows. We milked two times a day, 365 days a year before we got any kind of milking machines. And we got the kind that sat on the floor, sat on the ground. And we thought we were in tall cotton to get those. Kept building that. But it was early morning, 5.30 every morning, 365 days a year, milking cows, baling hay in the heat of the summer. I had too much time out in a field by myself, perhaps, but I'd be out there and I dreamed of having more, doing more, going more, being more. Now, most of you have heard me talk about that when I was about a 12 or 13 year old kid, I somehow got a hold of the audio recording. It was the first spoken word audio recording that sold a million copies. And that audio recording was Earl Nightingale, and the audio recording was titled The Strangest Secret. He had in there a message that somehow resonated with me. Not a totally new message, but somehow in the way he delivered it in that old gravelly voice, it resonated with me as a kid. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Is this actually possible? Here's that message. 
It's only 46 seconds long. Hang in there. This is the message that put me on a trajectory for the life I live today. Why do men with goals succeed in life and men without them fail? Well, let me tell you something which, if you really understand it, will alter your life immediately. If you understand completely what I'm going to tell you from this moment on, your life will never be the same again. You'll suddenly find that good luck just seems to be attracted to you. The things you want just seem to fall in line, and from now on you won't have the problems, the worries, the gnawing lump of anxiety that perhaps you've experienced before. Doubt, fear, well, they'll be things of the past. Here's the key to success, and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now, let me say that again. We become what we think about. Now, there you go. That was the message. We become what we think about. So here I am as a teenage farm kid, and I thought, is that really possible? Could I, in fact, do more, go more, have more, be more, by simply controlling what I think about? Well, I believed that and started to experiment with it. So while my friends were responding to circumstances around them, I would think about what I wanted to become. I would think about what kind of life I wanted to live, where I wanted to go. You know, one of the things that I dreamed about, or even back then, was the kind of car I wanted. I've always been drawn to cars. I love tinkering on cars. I love driving them, fixing them up, buying and selling. Well, anyway, in our family, we drove black cars. That was because my grandparents were Amish. My parents were conservative Mennonite. Cars were nothing that you would ever want to draw attention to. They were strictly utilitarian. And to make sure that we didn't have anything fancy, they were always black. Well, I dreamed of something more. When I was 16 years old, I bought the shell of a 1931 Ford 5 wooden coupe. I paid $75 for that shell. Then I purchased an engine and I started putting things together. I had these things in a chicken coop that we were no longer using for chickens on our farm. It was an unheated, uncooled, just little shell of a building. And I had this car in there that I was building. I learned from friends of mine about cars and I kept piecing that thing together, chopped and channeled the frame, put a Chrysler Hemi engine in it and bit by bit, I put that together. I worked on it for over a year and a half before I ever drove it out the door. A year and a half of working on that thing pretty much every day. I sanded, I painted, I ordered parts from J.C. Whitney out of Chicago and had them come in. When I had $5 to my name, I'd go to the junkyard and I'd sort through and find parts that I needed and put that together with very, very little money, but a lot of time and a lot of dreaming about what that could be. Nearly two years, I drove that out, chopped and channeled, 31 Ford, five window coupe, seven coats, a bronze lacquer on it. I had racing slicks on the back, had an Oldsmobile uh, rear end in the back, a Packard transmission, put those things together in a way that would work. I, I welded the rear end solid. If you understand cars, that means that both wheels were driving equally. That means that when I, you know, fancy cars today certainly have that built in, but back then they did not. So you would usually have one 
wheel in the back that would spin under strong acceleration. I welded the rear end solid so that both wheels were driving equally. That gave me maximum traction. Now, that also means when I go around a corner real slowly, you get the because one wheel was forced to go slower than the other one. Well, I built that. I mean, even today, I enjoy fast, flashy cars. I just do. That was part of a dream. And that was a dream that I had come true. I mean, people envied the car that I had after all that. But it was, I took what I had. I took the simple seeds, the simple resources that I had. I mean, I was making money by selling sweet corn up at the corner after we had all that we could put in the freezer and can. I'd pick it and take it real early up in the morning when the dew is still on it and sell it for 30 cents a dozen. So I was making money like that. 30 cents at a time. And I financed that car. My dad wasn't going to buy me a fancy car. He didn't think I needed a car. So I built that car to get ahead. Now, my dad wasn't the only one who thought my dreams were unrealistic. There were plenty of people along the way who thought I should just be content to be there on the farm. You know, we would eke out a living. That was going to be my future. Why am I not content with that? Well, my dreams opened my eyes to too much. But this is, this is the issue. Just this last week, I got an email from a newsletter reader of mine. And this is, I, I had talked about the fact that um, even rats, when there is no cheese, are smart enough to move somewhere else. Whereas sometimes humans keep looking at the same empty space, even when there's nothing there anymore. Well, this is my note from Richard. Congratulations on making money from others' toil. This isn't heaven. There's no such thing as new cheese. There's nothing new under the sun. Read your Bible. Just as, and you get this sentence right here. This is what put me on this path for this podcast episode. Just as Adam and Eve were tricked into believing they knew better, so you have been tricked into thinking there was a better way than being content on the dairy farm. That was his message. You better believe it. I've been tricked into thinking there was something better than being content on the dairy farm. I continue to be tricked every day of my life into thinking there are better things up ahead. And if I do certain steps, I can bring those into view. Now, along the way, I got a hold of other content, like the book Think and Grow Rich, classic book written back in 1937, certainly standard reading for anybody who's on a success path. And I listen to people like Napoleon Hill, Napoleon Hill. Here's a simple message. 23 second message from Napoleon Hill from Think and Grow Rich. Your personality determines whether people are attracted to you or shy away from you. It is the show window in which you display your character to the world. And it is the one thing which distinguishes you from all other human beings. It is your trademark by which uh, people recognize you. And it is the thing which determines your success or failure in selling yourself through life. Well, is developing a pleasing personality some kind of a phony thing to do? Or is it just a realistic approach to opening the door for more success? I worked on that. I modeled after people who I saw as successful and looked at the things that they did and built those into my own life. All right, so I'm 18 years old. 
18 years old, I decided I wanted to go to college. That was not something that was supported by my family. My dad was totally resistant to that. I owed it to him to help him on the farm. So here's how I compromised on that. I did help him on the farm all day long. And then I started to go into a branch campus of the Ohio State University at night. So I would work all day long. And then at night, starting at about seven o'clock, they had classes for farm kids like that. From about seven to 10 o'clock at night, I would go to classes. And then I would study after that. Skimp on sleep, work all day in the farm, started going to school. Now to go to school, it required tuition. I was a poor farm kid, but I had good grades. So I qualified for some help to get me through college. And I received an $1,800 grant before college ever started. $1,800. That was a lot of money. That was for my tuition to go to Ohio State University. However, my dreaming for seeing things in new ways was already causing me to not take a normal view of having money in the bank. I mean, the tuition wasn't payable immediately. It'd be due over the next several months, which meant I had $1,800 in the bank, hard, cold cash sitting there in my bank account. Well, surely I thought I can leverage that into something more. I responded to an ad in the back of a magazine. I was, I was always picking up those magazines, you know, with the Horatio Alger stories in them and stories about how you could invest in this and that and get ahead. Well, there was an ad, get into the vending machine business. You don't have to sell anything. We install the machines. All you have to do is collect the money. All right. My $1,800 purchased 10 hot cashew machines. Now, what could be more appealing than hot cashews, I thought? I mean, cashews, the perfect snack food, wholesome, nutritious, perfect complement to any beverage. I mean, this is going to be too easy. I envisioned my machines finding homes in ballparks, family recreation centers, local convenience stores. But things didn't turn out exactly as I had planned. Now, I was really inexperienced as a Mennonite farm kid. And, but true to their word, a representative from the company where I spent my $1,800 came to town to place the machines. Now, unfortunately, that company representative preferred to use his strongest center of influence to place those machines in the sleaziest bars he could find, not ballparks. Now picture this, a shy, backward Mennonite kid discovering that his machines were being installed in places he himself had never been allowed to enter. Guess what else didn't turn out as I expected? You know what happens to cashews under heat if they're not stirred about every 12 hours? They mold. I immediately began getting calls from these sordid establishments telling me to get those machines out of there or suffer the wrath of their inebriated customers. I went around and I picked up those 10 precious machines and I hid them in that old chicken coop where my dad would never be made aware of my stupidity. I mean, he, he never to his dying day knew that I did what I'm telling you about here. Those machines, I ultimately sold them for roughly 10 cents on the dollar as scrap metal, essentially. When it came time to pay my tuition, I had to get out and hustle for the money I had lost. So I squeezed in odd jobs around my already busy schedule, farm chores, chores and college classes, it was my first of many painful lessons that looking for a quick buck is typically a recipe for disaster. So did I learn my lesson? Stop dreaming. Be content with realistic 
opportunities, just the way life has unfolded. Did that end my chasing dreams in the business world? Not a chance. I mean, did I hang my head in shame, vowing to never again try something big, never again chase a wild dream? No, not by a long shot. I kept dreaming. I was 18 years old still. First year at Ohio State. Golly, I met this really gorgeous gal. Picked her out, had somebody introduce me. She was putting a note up on the bulletin board. I looked over her shoulder. She was putting a note up. She didn't have her driver's license. And she was putting a note up wondering if anybody in her part of town was coming to classes where she could catch a ride. I looked over her shoulder, saw the note, and I said, excuse me, miss. I mean, I come right by there. I'd be happy to give you a ride for a couple of days until you work something out. Now, believe me, it had nothing to do with my part of town. I lived way out in the country on a farm. But I promised her I'd give her a ride for a couple of days. Well, those couple of days turned into much more than that. We ended up getting married. We were told that would be a disaster. Our backgrounds were totally different. I brought her into a very conservative, legalistic, religious world that she knew nothing about. My parents assured me it would never work out. It was a disaster. I was leaving the faith, and I was headed in a, a, to a very, very hot place. Well, it was a dream. I acted on that and moved ahead anyway. Well, I finished college. We moved to California. I mean, that was a dream. There was no other reason to move there than just simply it was a dream of ours. Took a position as a therapist. My background, I at that point had my master's in clinical psychology Worked as a therapist for three months. Three months, I came home and told Joanne, if I have to spend one more day listening to these whining, complaining people talk about their privileged lives, I'm going to go nuts. I don't want to do that anymore. She's like, well, you, geez, you just spent a whole lot of time getting degrees in that. I thought I was going to be married to a therapist. I said, nah, I got something else up my sleeve. Got a friend we met at the church out here. He's got a little car lot. I'm going to start selling used cars for him. I absolutely loved the whole process. Talk about being immersed in a dream. Now, not only am I, I get to drive fancy cars every day, I have a whole lot full of cars that I can take my pick. We used to pick out the fanciest car in the lot. On a Thursday night, we'd jump in it and go to Las Vegas. We were close. We were living in California. Kelly, the first year selling cars, I made three times the money I ever thought possible. Well, that success led in some other things. We decided we didn't want to stay in California with the smog and congestion. We wanted someplace that had a little bit more of the rural feel. I mean, the farming roots do go deep. We moved back to Kentucky. I started an auto accessories business called Auto Appeal. Just dreamed up an idea of what that could look like. Didn't have any precedent for that, but I just dreamed up what it could look like. Went out, sold that idea to the new car dealers, and it turned into success much quicker than I anticipated. I expanded that idea, started picking up some other businesses. I bought another business, a health and fitness center. And that ended up creating a financial disaster like I have had never experienced. Well, so I found myself sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning at Christ Church in Nashville, Tennessee. We had left town. We had left Bowling Green, Kentucky, in the fall of 1989, I had suffered a crushing business failure with that health and fitness center. I was deeply in debt, not 
$1,800 I lost on cashew machines where I should have learned my lesson, right? No, unfortunately, this time it was more like $430,000 that I owed, mostly to the IRS, to business friends and vendors. How in the world did I get there? I mean, was life worth going on? Could I ever be successful again? Will my wife and kids still honor me as husband and dad? Well, I want to tell you, the answer to those questions can be a resounding yes, even when it looks dark. Now, even at that point, I had a couple clear possibilities at that point. I could have gotten a job, a responsible job. I was already teaching part-time as an adjunct at a local university. I could have expanded that to become a full-time professor. But I looked at that and I thought, I'll never see the light of day. I'll never be able to take care of this debt if I take a traditional job. The only option where I could ever see eliminating that massive debt and taking care of a family with three small children would be to jump right back in the game, just take one of my dreams and start acting on it. And of course, that's what I did. Now, when I owed that $430,000 to creditors, I borrowed a car. I borrowed. It was a 1978 Mercury Zephyr station wagon. I mean, the AC didn't work. The power windows didn't work. The radio didn't work. But you want to know what the most important thing was to me? I carried with me a battery-operated cassette player. That was more important than getting the air conditioning fixed. I was working out of that car all day, knocking on doors, totally 100% commission sales. But I could sweat and still be okay. I could block the windows up in the winter with some stick them in the bottom. But I knew I needed to feed my mind with the positive, pure, clean, inspiring input. Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, Norman Vincent Peale, Dennis Waitley, others like that. I knew my mind was like a garden. I needed to be feeding my mind positives or the negatives would take root and grow. I mean, I owed so much money, it was overwhelming. I mean, the IRS guy would show up and stand in my driveway at 5.30 in the morning. But I knew the only way out of this mess was to fill my mind with the thinking and principles that would lead me to a higher level of success than I had ever experienced. So I bought those Nightingale Conant cassette programs. I mean, their first product was The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale that had put me on this trajectory. So I became a customer of theirs, and I bought those cassettes with Tom Hopkins and Stephen Covey, J. Abraham, Jim Rohn, listened to them over and over and over again. I mean, even today, I would rather have a sound system in my car than a working air conditioning, easy choice, any day of the week. But that kept my dreams alive. I kept nurturing my dreams at that point. And it was at that lowest point in my financial life, Joanne and I started leading a Sunday school class at our church called Career Life Transitions. I mean, out of my own pain, I started leading a class to teach people how to handle these inevitable, relentless transitions we're confronted with. The class was like a magnet. I mean, we had people from other churches come for that class and then drive across town to their own church for the sermon. We started having people from other states show up. People ask for more and more. They ask for printed materials they could give to their children and friends. I finally put together a very rough copy of my Sunday school notes. I added a couple of cassette tapes, and that became the very first version of 48 Days to the Work You Love. And one morning in September of 2000, 
I walked into my office to see the fax machine peel off 14 pages of IRS lien releases. The same month we purchased the home we live in today. Now, if you do the math on that, it took some time in there. It took a whole lot of time. It took 12 years to unravel the mess I had created. Why didn't I just give up my dreams and just accept the fact we would never be on top financially again? The IRS was going to take everything that I would have the rest of my life. No, that's just not how I'm wired. My dreams grew in that period of time. I would cut out pictures out of magazines of houses and put them on a refrigerator and tell Joanne, babe, we're going to be in a house like this again one of these days. 12 years in that period, I kept dreaming. I kept working. I kept doing the things that I'm going to tell you about here in just a second. And people continued to ask for the materials that I had in various formats that would help them through these inevitable transitions like we all experience. In 2005, the first trade book edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love was published. It went on to become a New York Times bestseller. The 10th anniversary edition was released in hardback in 2015. That doesn't happen much in the self-help category where a book comes out as a 10-year anniversary in hardback. So other books, ebooks, audio courses, instructional manuals, seminars, workshops have been developed around the same themes. But everything I'm doing today was birthed out of what I thought was just volunteer work right there at Christ Church in a time where I was at my lowest financially, but at a time where I continued to nurture my dreams. Now, here's the thing. When questioned about any regrets they had, that they would, anything they would do differently, people who are approaching death have one common theme. This is it. People who know they're at death's door, one common theme to their biggest regret. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Now, this is not a process of being selfish, self-centered, or egotistical, but rather one of releasing the very best God has offered us. Now, this is my value proposition statement. This is what gets me up every morning. This is what is at the forefront of my mind when I meet the kid at Waffle House late on a Friday night, like we did last Friday night, when I am talking to um, one of Joanne's gals who just got out of Tennessee prison for women, or when I'm sitting with the CEO who has compensated me very well for a coaching process. I help high potential individuals understand and apply their unique and most powerful talents and passions in meaningful, purposeful, and profitable daily work so they can make a larger impact, leave a legacy, and thrive financially in 48 days. That's my dream. That's why I do the things that I do. Everything else is secondary to living out that value proposition statement. You can call it my mission, my purpose, my destiny, my calling. You can create your own. But I am so clear on my purpose that it drives me to do the things that I do and opens the door to new dreams that I have every day that I breathe. Now, remember the story of the children of Israel in the Bible. Remember how Moses told the people he was going to lead them out of slavery into the promised land. And after all those horrible plagues for Pharaoh, Pharaoh finally said, all right, go, take the people and go. 
Now, that big group of people left Egypt and headed for the promised land. They got their $1,800 seed money, not enough to get them all the way through, but enough to believe in their dream of getting to a better life. But you know what happened? I mean, a few days of passing through the desert, which was a necessary passage to get to the promised land, I mean, left them whining to go back to the familiar misery of slavery under the Pharaoh. Yet going through that desert seems to be an integral part of getting to any promised land. Most business people go through three or four ideas and failures before they reach extraordinary success. Most podcasts produce seven shows and then stop. I mean, the average job today for someone between 18 and 42 is two point years in length. We're told the average length of a job for someone in their 20s is 13 months. I mean, most marriages go through times of strain and struggle. It requires commitment, hope, and action to persevere and grow a meaningful relationship. Most anything desirable in life requires repeated attempts and ongoing nurturing before it becomes what we dreamed of. Now, have you ever noticed that even if God allows you to have your dream, you're expected to work to make it happen? I mean, if you're chosen for the football team at your school, then you have to practice to work out hard day after day to keep your place. If you're accepted into a prestigious college, then you have to study to keep your grades up or that college is going to ask you to leave. You meet the person of your dreams, but then he loses a job or she gains a few pounds. I mean, it seems that even when dreams are coming true, God requires our flexibility and focused belief in the process. Now, there's a spiritual life lesson for all of us to gain from seeing what happens as a meaningful life unfolds. Yes, we can have dreams. Yes, those dreams may come into view, but it requires a clear plan of action. It requires imagination. It requires desire, hard work, self-discipline, faith. So how well do you know yourself? For your dream to come to life, it has to blend three things. Your skills, talents, and abilities your values, purpose, passion, and an economic engine. It has to have those three things. Those are three legs to a stool. And if anyone is missing, a two-legged stool is going to fall over every time. So we want that blend, that sweet spot where your talent, passion, and money meet. Now here in our property, a lot of you have been here, a lot of you have seen what I'm going to talk about a couple of years ago in the early part of spring, I realized that the biggest tree on our property, the one closest to my office was not showing any new growth. Well, as a matter of fact, it was clear that it was dead. Now it was just a scrub cedar tree, not that attractive, but as an old farm kid, I hated losing any tree. So I called a gal who I had seen online that she did wooden sculptures. I had her come out. She had never done a standing tree. But I said, Terry, I think there's an eagle trying to get out of that tree. So this was a very tall tree. It was probably 65, 70 feet tall. I hadn't done anything to it. It was clearly dead, but I hadn't done anything to it. I said, I think there's an eagle trying to get out of that tree. She walked it around it for, golly, 15, 20 minutes, not saying much. And finally, she cautiously agreed. Well, a lot of you who have been here in our property have seen that. She released an eagle 
that was there all along. The first two wings, I mean, the first two branches are the eagle wings because the eagle wings expand beyond the size of the trunk. I topped it at about 14 feet tall before she came out and worked on it. She worked on it over a period of about a week and released this amazing eagle. The color is 100% natural, those rich yellow and red that was in there all the time. We couldn't see it in its original form. Now this beautiful sculpture welcomes everyone to our home. Yes, something died, but that gave birth to something even more beautiful. And that's a picture of often what happens to our dreams, whether it's in our health, our work relationships, what looks like death may in fact just be birthing of a new season, a new chapter of success you were not even able to see previously if you keep moving toward your dream. I mean, the life we have today was not just a gift from God to Joanne and me. What we have as a result of God's creation having been shaped and molded by human intelligence and hard work. I mean, there's an ancient Jewish prayer that they would recite at Passover that describes how this works. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness, we have this bread to offer, which earth has given and human hands have made. It will become for us the bread of life. Now, that prayer reveals a profound spiritual principle. God's gifts are raw materials, not finished products. I mean, think about the most sacred, reverent, sacrament we have in the church, Holy Communion. Does God give us bread and wine? I mean, if those are the elements that we need to use, why don't we just walk out in a field and get those? I mean, where do you find bread and wine in nature? You don't. God makes wheat. He doesn't make bread. He makes grapes, not wine. But when we take the raw materials God gives us, we can add our work and give them back to him as an offering. Now, this is the picture of the spiritual life for each of us. I mean, every one of you has special gifts. It may be singing, writing, gardening, art, computer skills, selling, teaching, cooking, being a friend, encouraging others. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's a raw product. It has limited value until we apply the discipline necessary to make it useful to ourselves and others. Our lives are the bread that we make to offer back to God. I mean, we get nothing but rough materials. Life doesn't hand us the finished product. Life may even bring us obstacles or heartache along the way, but ultimately, our lives are the bread that we prepare. Our lives are what those around us see as the result of what we've done with those raw materials. Now, here are the steps we all go through in turning dreams into reality. This is where you need to grab your pen and pad. Five steps. Number one, Definiteness of purpose, knowing clearly what you want. Number two, imagination. How can this be done and how can I do it? Number three, desire. And it has to be your own strong desire, not something you think you should do or something you think others expect you to do. Number four, self-discipline. Without this, you'll be deterred by the first obstacle. And number five, faith. I mean, this really makes all the others work. Unless you believe it'll happen, you'll sabotage your progress. So again, those five steps are number one, definiteness of purpose. Number two, imagination. Number three, desire. Number four, self-discipline. Number five, 
faith. I'll put those in the show notes for today's episode. Now, remember I told you about that little Nightingale Conant audio program I got when I was 13 years old, The Strangest Secret? Well, guess what? A few years ago, the executives from Nightingale Conant, that company, contacted me about doing a product with them. They had already tested my materials with their audience and gotten a very favorable response. So I flew to Chicago, spent three days creating Dream Job, which is a compilation of content from my books, 48 Days to the Work You Love, No More Dreaded Mondays, and Wisdom Meets Passion. It's six hours and 34 minutes of content. That was an outcome that came way down the road. The seeds were planted as a 33 or as a 13-year-old kid took root, came back full circle, where that company put me in the company of what I consider masters of achievement. And there's another piece, another rest of the story here. Two years later, they told me they wanted to create an audio program with just the top 25 authors from their 50-year history. So I was part of that. That's probably, uh, I'm probably prouder of that little product than anything I've, I've created in terms of a physical product just because of the company there. So it's an audio CD, a compilation of people who share just a three or four minute clip about what was that that puts you on a trajectory of success that you're experiencing today. So I'm on there with Dr. Tony Alessandra, Vic Conant, Roger Dawson, Marshall Goldsmith, Tony Jerry, Bob Proctor, Tony Robbins, Dennis Waitley, and Dan Meller in that company. And I love that. Love the fact that, the, and, and today they have people like Byron Katie, Dan Sullivan, Dave Ramsey, Deepak Chopra, Callie Marianne Williamson, Mark Victor Hansen, a whole lot more. Now here's where it gets pretty interesting. Again, that little audio recording, The Strangest Secret, impacted me so strongly when I was just a teenage farm kid. Last year, Nightingale Conant sent me an overview of the top 30 programs as ranked by their customers from all the thousands of programs that they've had over the last 50 years. So these were customers ranking the impact of those audio materials. Number one, The Art of Exceptional Living by Jim Rohn. Wonderful, wonderful program. Number two, The Universal Laws of Success and Achievement by Brian Tracy. Number three, Dream Job by Dan Meller. Are you kidding me? We're talking again, major, major names internationally, people who have programs there. And this is how the customers ranked it. Number three, Dream Job by Dan Miller. You know what number four is? Number four is The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. The very program that put me on this path, the core product, the initial product that created this amazing company out of Chicago that still does millions and millions of dollars of business every year. Their core product is number four. Dream Job by Dan Miller is number three. Lead the Field by Earl Nightingale, another amazing program, is number five. And number six is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. 
I mean, that just blows my mind. I mean, talk about, I feel like those things bookmark my life. That little audio recording that I had when I was a teenage kid and creating Dream Job by the company that produced that little audio recording, I mean, that pretty well can bookend my life. I mean, I could die a happy camper. I've told Joanne that many times and I've told other audiences that over the last couple of years. Not that I'm looking to leave anytime soon. I wanted to create a whole lot more things, but I mean, really, I mean, those are extreme benchmarks in my life to have those things. Now, what do you think? Am I going to keep dreaming? Yeah, I think I will. I'm going to keep dreaming. Even if there were people back then telling me I need to be content with that, even if there are people today who are telling me I should have been content with that, this dreaming stuff just doesn't work. It's unrealistic. It's not what our future ought to hold. I love what dreams have brought into my life to make it exciting, full, and prosperous. I'm so excited about the next 10 years, I can't sleep at night. I wake up, you know, Monday mornings to me, I love Monday mornings because I know what I'm going to get to do when I come back across our little property here, walk into my office and start doing the kind of things that I do. Remember the quotation we started out with here? Well, I'll tell you what, I want to reward you for having stuck with me through this. I've got some resources that I think will help you. There are some resources where I've got a little video serving from a full cup. Why it's not selfish to want to fill your own cup. Why that is a legitimate way to prepare you to be the best that God designed for you to be. You serve best from a full cup. There's that. There's side biz freedom, 10 ideas for a very profitable side business. And then there's how to build a business with only 15 hours a week. Those three resources, just go to 48days.com slash CES. 48days.com slash CES, and it'll give you those resources. I want those to be an encouragement to you. And hey, I'm going to just end with this. As you know, I'm likely to do what we started out with. I'll give you two stanzas both stanzas of this little poem by Langston Hughes. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is like a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Hey, that's my message. You know, I hope it's been encouraging to you. A little bit different than our usual podcast. We'll come back next week with questions from you, the listeners. You can shoot those into me at askdan at 48days.com. I love the growing quantity of questions here. We can't get to them all, but I really love sorting through the real life issues that you all are dealing with, that we all deal with, and being able to answer those. So we'll get back to those. But I just was compelled. This just jumped out at me so much. This one listener comment, I wanted to kind of unpack it and share it in a way that I hope brings encouragement to you to keep following your dreams. I know if you're a regular listener to this, you're doing that. You know you don't have to be content with the way things are. You can dream and bring those dreams to life. Hey, thanks for being part of this 
amazing audience that I get to connect with and live life with, share life with, where we know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. You don't need to settle for less. Follow your dreams.